This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. It is time for the Aftershock Central Podcast. That's right. We're still here. Ronnie and I got the chance to go to C2E2 this past weekend, and uh, Aftershock had an awesome panel. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting uh, all the creators that were there. Uh, let's see. Donnie Cates from Baby Teeth was there. Adam Glass from uh, Rough Riders of the Normals. Phil Hester from Shipwreck and Blood Blister. And, of course, Joe Pruitt was there and uh, had a really good time. The panel was great. Everyone was super personable and uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, what they had to say. So here's the panel. We will be coming back with regular episodes again beginning next week. Hope you enjoy. You can find us all on Twitter, uh, at Jack Sutherland, at RonBar316, at Geekvine, at AfterShockPod. And uh, be sure to check out the uh, Aftershock Facebook group as well. Enjoy the show. We'll catch you next time. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Aftershock panel here at C2E2 2017. Um, uh, We're going to start things off. Actually, we've got a short sizzle highlighting all of our uh, past, current, and upcoming titles. And so hope you enjoy it. I just want to point out now, so we have some really exciting guests on our panel. Um, my name is Mike Zagari, I'm SVP brand for Aftershock. Each one of these amazing creators are going to get their own slide and a lot of time to chat with you guys. Um, we want to just mention right off the bat that we are really excited because about two years, Joe, correct me wrong, about two years we announced. Two years ago this month we announced the company. Yeah, yeah, so it's, we've got a little bit of an anniversary coming on here, and uh, we just want to point out to, to all of you that you know, we're really excited that we're in this for the long term, and we appreciate your support because you know, we're all about making high quality, and again, these guys are going to go into a lot more detail about the awesome series that we're working on. And uh, that's what we're doing. We'll kick things off with uh, Mr. Donnie Cates right here. Hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah, so uh, Baby Teeth is this weird new book that we're putting out in June. <laughs> Um, uh, I also did those other two books, but we're not going to talk about those. Um, Baby Teeth is a, a yeah, it's a book that comes out in June. It's an ongoing. Um, it's about a 16 year old girl who gives birth to the Antichrist. Um, but it is it's like far and away the sweetest 
kind of nicest <laughs> book I've ever done. Um, <laughs> I was writing, yeah, because I've been writing uh, those two other books over at Image, and both of those are about like old men with Alzheimer's and like a bunch of old scraggly rednecks and stuff like that, right? And um, I kind of I got it in my head that I wanted to write something that was nice and, and, and full of love and sweet. And I, so I suppose it's very telling that my view of that is uh, the Antichrist. Uh, but yeah, um, we're having a blast. Like Gary Brown's drawn it for us. Um, um, is it uh, Mark Engelhart? Is that is that how you say his name? Yeah, uh, is coloring uh, for us. We did Shipwreck as well. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic. We have, we have a few um, secret, super duper secret covers that are. Uh, only on my iPhone that I could probably be talked into showing you at the booth. Um, just hold them up. Yeah, just hold them up like this. Um, uh, and to that, and to that point, I'll I'll actually be at the booth right after the, this is over, signing things as well. If anybody wanted to come by, so yeah, that's baby teeth. I I, I only have to explain books for so long to get it across. Baby is like the easiest one. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've been having a blast doing it. Yeah, so just to add a little bit more on, on Baby Teeth and Donnie, uh, we're so happy to have him part of the team. Um, he's, this is just an amazing book, and we're so excited for the launch. And actually, we actually shared with retailers um, a full uh, watermarked preview, uh, and uh, we already heard back from a lot of the retailers, and one of them actually said, um, not only is it Donnie's best book ever, they said it was the best thing they've read all year. So uh, that's, you know, I'm not paraphrasing, that was exactly what they said. Hey, it's very telling, but we're excited for the launch. And if you come back to the booth, Donnie's going to be signing, yeah. as well as there might be some other special treats uh, for you guys that are BBT related. So uh, yeah, a lot of fun. And there's a hell raccoon in the boat. It's like a raccoon from hell. It's in the boat. It's pretty tight. It's like a bunch of assassins and stuff. Can you describe how the, the raccoon shows up? I like to like well, I don't want to spoil that aspect because that's in that that's an issue three drop. But but okay. I will say um, our uh, our esteemed um, ed, I, mean, I don't know what to call them because you wear so many hats. Mike, editor chief, editor chief slash yeah, yeah. slash everything lawyer. slash lawyer does everything. Mike Martz. Um, so apparently, Mike. So I, I turned in his outline for this thing, and I, there, I, I knew there was going to be this hell raccoon. This like weird little creature from from hell um, uh, who ends up becoming uh, the baby's first pet because this hell raccoon like sniffs it and realizes like oh this is the king of the dark world and becomes its like little pet and everything um, and I just from I, when I was writing the outline I wrote hell raccoon as like a placeholder term for whatever the hell this creature Gary ends up making and apparently un- unbeknownst to me like. Mike Marks has like a really weird thing with raccoons. Uh, doesn't look like has had been like I say weird. I say wonderful. You know, like he, he has like a, an odd relationship with them. And when he read the outline, he he was like, "Are you are you fucking with me with this raccoon thing?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" He was like, "You didn't you didn't put this in there messing with me?" I was like, "No, not at all." So because because of that. When, when we finally meet that hell raccoon, his name is Marty, named after Mike Mars. And I go out of my way to make him as creepy as but he he clucks and like squeaks like a dolphin. Just because I think that that's really fucking creepy and I wanted to creep Mike out. So um, so yeah, anyway, that's how comics are made sometimes. <laughs> we should all get like raccoon cats. 
Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're going to make plushies for sure. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, Tanya. We'll, we'll come back to a lot of other fun stuff. And so we're going to go a little bit out of order here to highlight some of our other guests here on the panel. We have the great Phil Hester there on the uh, end. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Phil, if you want to tell us a little bit about both your Aftershock titles, both Shipwreck and Bloodluster, and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, two comics to talk about. Well, uh, I'll talk about Shipwreck because that's been out the longest and people probably consume the most of it. And that's a book I'm drawing that Warren Ellis writes, and it's taken by my friend Eric Astor. And it's colored by Mark Engler as well in a very kind of flat, non-literal coloring style that Warren and I really wanted to pursue for this project. Um, but it's, uh, when I describe it to people, I sort of describe it as Warren Ellis as the prisoner. So it's sort of this existential kind of horror story, but it's got, like all Warren's things, it's got a hard sci-fi underpinning to it. And um, as the series goes on, and as you delve further on into it, the sci-fi stuff starts to come to the fore a little bit. So it's it's purposely confounding and disturbing, and it never stops being disturbing. That continues, <laughs> but uh, it's less confusing as it goes on, and you and you pick up a little bit more of the, the sci-fi elements of the story. Um, and it's quite it's a lot of fun. It's like the first time I've had drawing a book in probably a decade. Um, because it's mostly takes place in the desert, which is awesome for me. <laughs> no background, but <laughs> everyone's very bedraggled. I also like drawing that, and uh, everything's very stark and gaunt and wasted, and that's sort of in my wheelhouse as an artist. You're already done. Yes, <laughs> and um, and that's a, a joy to work on, and I'm, I'm sad that it's going to come to an end, but it's it's a great series, and it's a very satisfying, like, six-issue chunk to read. Um, and the second title we're talking about is Blood Blister, which is a horror book of mine that I'm writing that the great Tony Harris is drawing. So, you know, even if you find the stories terrible, and you won't, but even if you do uh, come for the Tony Harris art, uh, and it's... Uh, I know there are a lot of possession stories out there in the world, and um, but they all sort of follow familiar paths. Um, they're usually like really steeped in Catholic doctrine and Catholic lore, and uh, this, the the victim of the possession is usually innocent. And uh, I wanted to flip a lot of that around and, and have a character that had no religious background. Um, his family has a, a Jewish religious background. Um, and whose possession is well earned. He deserves everything he's getting. Um, I wanted to play with the idea that the demons that possess people are sort of gestate inside you. You know, you you birth that character. I mean, you birth that demon inside of you with your actions. And um, if you follow other things that are written, like um, Deep Sleeper or The Coffin or even The Darkness, um, I always try to bring like a familial element into the story. So he's got a he's got a family that he's estranged from, but um, that's sort of that's sort of his uh, north star to try to reclaim his soul and, and work his way back from this self-induced demonic possession he's got. And it's also super gross. <laughs> Gets grosser all the way through. family book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Issue two of Bloodluster and issue. We're both at the printers right now. Yeah, they actually make them on the same week. Yeah, first Wednesday, May. First Wednesday, May, so we have a full Hester week. Yeah, celebration. Yeah. That's okay. I'm printing your comic.
Great, thanks, Bill. Again, we'll have more from you as we go. So next up, the great Adam Glass. And we've got uh, two titles currently, Rough Riders and the upcoming The Normals. So, uh, Adam, want to chat about this? Yeah, uh, I will talk about uh, Rough Riders first and foremost. Um, I'm a history buff. And um, even though I look like an NFL lineman, I inside my heart beats a nerd. Um, and I just have always loved history, and especially loved uh, Harry Houdini, and um, been fascinated by Teddy Roosevelt. So this idea of like taking all these characters out of boxing, so Jack Johnson, uh, to take all these characters and put them into a story and sort of tell this, you know, altered reality, you know, yet history. Like I try to include, I'd say we were asking last night. Mike Z was asking me, and I said, yeah, it's about seventy-five historically true. Outside of they, all these people got together and had this adventure. <laughs> they're super, you know, they're super team. Outside of that, I really stick to the fact. Um, so exploring these characters and being able to sort of present them to a whole new audience has been super cool, super exciting. Really love it. I've learned a lot too as I've researched it. Um, it's it's really fun book. Like I didn't know what a badass Annie Oakley really was in real life. I mean, she was like she was like a mutant. She never missed. I mean, she really was unbelievable. The, uh, she traveled with the uh, Indians in the Wild Bill show. Geronimo just called her a little Mashore shot, and they just they thought she was possessed. They thought they just never saw anybody shoot like that in their life. Another quick, interesting little quidditch about her was uh, William Randolph Hearst had printed an article about a woman named Annie Oakley who was arrested for uh, prostitution in Chicago. He printed it knowing that it wasn't her, but that it would sell papers, and she proceeded to sue him for the next seven years using her own money. And she took him on at a time where women did not do that. And he had to not only pay her all the money back, but apologize publicly. And Hearst never forgave her for that. But she, her honor and her word and her name meant something to her. So she's quite a character. So putting all these characters together, telling all these stories with them has really been one of the most creatively fun things that I've ever ever had a chance to do. Uh, and then the flip of that is uh, the normals um, is really, you know, uh, for a better part of the word, it's about my fears. Um, I uh, am very blessed to have a beautiful, wonderful family. And so this idea kept sort of hitting in my head. I remember sort of driving the car with me and then talking head song finally made sense to me, you know, uh, this beautiful house with your beautiful life and you know how to get here and i'm like yeah how the fuck did i get here um and the idea that i would lose all that so i sort of put that through the lens of a science fiction story and the idea that you turn around and you basically um have this life and then what if it wasn't real what if like everything basically spoiler alert, uh was a was a program and that you really weren't who you thought you were and it's really about a family that finds out, you know, a father who at first thinks something's wrong with his son, then comes to learn that there's something wrong with all of them, that they're all robots. And sort of like that their life has basically been a program. And so, you know, what do you do all of a sudden? How much would you fight to keep that together? It might be a program to them, but it's you, it's real. You know, so what would you fight to do and what would you do to keep your family together? And how far would you go? That's really what the normals is about. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, we've been saying this about a lot of our. Uh, um, different series, but there may be a special treat again if you come on by the uh, app shop booth afterwards. Um, and uh, we're excited for uh, what we can share on the normals. Great, so to move on, the normals will be out in three weeks on Sunday. Mr. Dro- Joe Pruitt, uh, that would be me. Uh, the series I write for 
my, if I got kids, Smash Track, uh, issue 12 comes out Wednesday, or if you're lucky today, it is the Aftershock movie. So, hey, I'm the bonus running tower, so I'm pretty proud of that. Um, basically, this is basically your legend of Black Hat Children. I don't know if it's real quick, it's pretty spooky. I was just trolling around Facebook one day and saw some like top 50. Urban Legends for 50 States is a lesson rest of me. Like, I bought a film and uh, Black Eyed Children. I was like, what the hell is that? And I started looking into it, so I'm going to write a story about it. So I did a little bit of research and then I just took it off and went home. Uh, I do have a friend who, a new friend, who's a paranormal researcher who actually wrote a book called Black Eyed Children. He sent me a copy book, which I won't read yet because it'll probably scare me. And um, B, I don't want to be, you know, influenced by the real life. Uh, Stories. So I'm just trying to do my own as well. But when I finish the series, I'll go sit down and read it because I do want to read it. But I'll read it during the day. <laughs> um, it's basically you know, these, these creepy little kids with black eyes who nobody knows why they are. And they so people think they're aliens, people think they're demons, or possessed children, or whatever. And this is my take on it. So very cool. And most of you might already know Joe Pruitt is also our chief creative officer and our publisher, uh, and so I've already mentioned this a few times over the show, but he does not sleep uh, <laughs> because of the many, many hats he wears. Uh, great, so we have some quick summaries of each one of these series that these really talented individuals are working on, um, and we're going to dive into um, a few questions from the Aftershock side, and later on, of course, go and QA for you guys. Um, before we do that, I just want to highlight some of the 2017 launches, some of the stuff uh, we've touched upon. Um, I'm going to do that by actually starting with highlighting another talent, Mr. Garth Ennis. Um, most of you may already know that he did a mini-series with Aftershock uh, called Dreaming Eagles. Uh, we're really excited about that, a World War II uh, really uh, you know, profound story that Garth always wanted to tell, and that was really amazing. And then we continued the conversation with Garth, and um, we're really excited to announce something you may have heard about uh, called Jimmy's Bastards. Uh, it's in the same vein as uh, Garth's The Boys and Preacher, so this kind of comes more of this satirical, kind of uh, adult aspect, uh, serious telling. Um, uh, Joe, you want to add a little bit more to what Jimmy's Bastards is all about? It's not all ages. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> Jimmy's Bastards uh, basically is a take on a well-known secret agent you might know about. Um, and he's had a lot of fun around the world. And he's got a lot of uh, unknown children, like mine. And basically, they're not very happy about daddy, and they're coming to beat him for the first time. I just said that. Aftershock has a lot of books about, like, fucked up kids. <laughs> 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 it is a very good segue to say that Jimmy's Bastards is launched in the same week as Father's Day. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and the other fun thing is, actually, if, if any of you are watching Preacher, Preacher Season 2 premieres also the same week, so we've got this cool. like Garth and Daddy week. <laughs> and if you're in New York uh, that week, Garth will be doing a signing at Midtown Comics for Father's Day. <laughs> That's right. So, Dad and Son, it's your time. Um, and so, um, to highlight some of the other 2017 uh, launches... Um, we've already launched, and hopefully some of you got a chance to check out um, two uh, recently, World Reader and Eleanor and Egret. World Reader, really exciting title for us. We actually have a C2 exclusive at the booth. 
Uh, no, we don't want to touch this one out. Oh, okay. We, we no longer have a too exclusive a world reader, but we do have the regular copy of number one, so you get the story. And we have the C2 exclusive of Elmer Eager. We do have so that stuff. Great. The world reader, uh, written by Jeff Loveness, who's actually uh, a writer on Jimmy Kimmel Live, uh, as well as had experience writing Crute. Uh, it's a really interesting story, uh, really deep. Uh, with amazing art by Wando, uh, who you may know is doing, he did Atmosphere and Rise, an American monster for us, really just incredible artist. Um, and Albert Negro, just like Joe mentioned, do have, we still have it, I'm not sure about the end of my sentence, but we, we still got the C2E2 uh, variant cover. Uh, written by John Lehman, who made most of you might know from writing Chew for Image, really boo. <laughs> oh, no. I just, uh, John's one of my best friends, and I just wanted, I wanted to get back to him. That I was talking shit about on a panel. <laughs> that looks awesome. Uh, well, good fun. And then, of course, the uh, amazing Sam Keith, um, who's had just an incredible career. Yeah. Most people don't, don't remember that he actually co created Sandman with Neil Gaiman. Um, but, I mean, The Max is just one of the best series ever, and he's worked on Batman and Green, just incredible. And so, this is just, you know, great to see these two together because it's just their sense of humor and uh, the interest here is great. Um, we're going to chat a little bit about normals. Um, of course, Mr. Adam Glass, um, and we want to highlight that Dennis Calero is doing the artwork and this uh, very nice image here, which is one of our variant covers, is by Elizabeth Tork. Uh, Elizabeth has actually done some really great stuff for us too, yeah. including yeah, a bunch of variants for uh, baby teeth that are all really, really awesome, but they're, they're gorgeous. Exactly. Um, we also additionally have Pestilence, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, written by the uh, always a gentleman, Mr. Frank Thierry. Um, like, do you want to tell us a little bit about Frank Thierry, Joe? I think you can. <laughs> uh, Frank is one of a kind personality. Um, I don't think I can say anything else without offending him. <laughs> All right, go to Frank. And uh, covers by uh, Tim Bradstreet, which is just awesome. these amazing ones. You have you see here issue number one. Issue number two is just really, really detailed. I I'm, like, can't believe it. And, um, uh, and then uh, you know the whole team is just really talented and really excited about this book, which is basically asking the question: What's what's the exact question from Pestilence Show? Well, it's basically Black Pit Plague, but before the Black Pit Plague wasn't really what it tell you was. But it was the first zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yep. All right, and we already described Jimmy's Bastards a bit. Garth Ennis, uh, I have to say the Russ Braun artwork is so detailed that it's uh, really just amazing to see it kind of come all together. And again, not necessarily for the kids, but uh, uh, maybe some of the older sons to bond with their dads. Uh, we already talked about Baby Teeth quite a bit. Tanya Chan's doing a great job. Gary Brown on art. Last, you may have heard, last Wednesday we just announced Unholy Grail uh, by uh, amazing writer Colin Bunn. Uh, we may know right now to be uh, X Men uh, Gold. I am confused. Gold, blue. What are those? Uh, one of those X Men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amongst many, many, many other uh, incredible books that he actually has underneath his belt. And Mirko uh, um, Kolak is doing uh, the artwork, and you may have actually seen some of the previews online. Uh, just super detailed, and uh, this is a really fun book. Joe, do you want to also describe a little bit? There's nothing fun about this. But yeah, Mirko's uh, artwork is so amazing. We did the preview before, we just did the pencils because we don't want to. We're going to to see how great, what a great job he's doing on it. Holy Grail is basically, it's, uh, to say it's a dark King Arthur. 
Um, so let's take the, uh, the Arthurian myths and twist it around a little bit. Or a lot bit. Okay, a lot bit, whatever. All right, so I just have this slide up while we, uh, we start off our aftershock here, Q&A here, up here first. Um, curious about creators here. I'm gonna ask, um, what, is you, what is the biggest inspiration for the specific title you have for Aftershock? Is there, is there some movie, is there some other comic, is there a prose book? My Children. Oh, it's actually kind of true, like my kids. Joe's Children. <laughs> got two Joe's Children. Mm -hmm. yeah, two Joe's. Uh, but anybody can answer. Um, I, I guess since, well, let me just go down the line, I guess. Um, uh, Baby Teeth, um, man, uh, so I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the, there's that one there's that one TV show about that girl who, who, who kills vampires out in California that ran on for a long time. Yeah, I think I heard about that. She had like a little group of friends and stuff. Um, it's like my favorite book in the world. It's like Mummy. But yeah, it's something like that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that. And so like as far as tone, uh, uh, Baby Teeth shares a lot in common with that. And actually, you know, um, in that show, you know, she she had this like. Uh, you know, she at the age of sixteen, she had her kind of life stolen away from her because of this prophecy where she was the one, she was a slayer, and she had to kill all these vampires and stuff. And it's kind of fun to kind of flip it up a little bit and have Sadie, who's the lead character of our book, have her childhood kind of taken away from her because um, she gives birth to what will essentially what is supposed to be the like harbinger of the apocalypse. Um, at the same time, though, uh, the baby is just. He's just adorable. Like he's not. Everyone keeps on telling her that he's like the king of bones and ash and shit. She's just like, yeah, I, mean, I guess he's just like an infant, like, you know. Um, and so there's like two camps in the book. One of them, which um, uh, is trying to kill this baby, and then and another group that is trying to put this baby on a throne and like usher in the apocalypse. But that's all like. It's all like kind of tramping. It's all around this main story of this girl Sadie trying to deal with everything, um, and I don't think it's a, a surprise at all that like um, just recently in my life, like two years ago or so, my brother had a kid, uh, and so all of a sudden I have this like baby in my life and everything, um, and that's why I started to write uh, some of the other books that I've done. I've been writing a lot about family because all of a sudden I have someone in my family that, that I like. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. he's two and he hasn't pissed me off yet or done anything, you know. Um, so I don't know. I've been talking a lot about that, and uh, I have I have a lot of uh, aunts and uncles in my books that are badasses because I I am those things now. I mean, I'm an uncle in front of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, give it time. Yeah, but there's a there's a character in Baby Teeth, uh, Heather, who's Sadie's older sister, who uh, like of all the books that I've done. Maybe like just like the meanest, like just fucking sociopath like person, but she loves Sadie, like and she will protect her. Um, but it's just like, like she just like casually sells heroin and stuff. And it's like soups cash. Uh, it takes place in Salt Lake City, which is an awesome place to be 16 and pregnant. Um, and also a great place for the you know harbinger of doom. Um, and so uh, yeah, man, things go down so hard in that book. Uh, and so as far as influences, like I always like to tell retailers that you could put it on the on the racks next to like a Paper Girls 
you know, a, yeah. kind of like a, a, a larger event, but viewed through uh, the, by a bunch of people who have no fucking earthly clue how to deal with this thing, but are just like kind of binding together by friendship. It kind of has a similar tone to that, but uh, it's like cooler or whatever. Yeah, so to recap, again, uh, these are the inspirational aspects to what, what Donnie's writing about. Uh, number two, uh, kids don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> right. uh, just learn how to do drugs right. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Anybody else want to share what sort of their inspirations were for their aftershock series? I don't know. I think it's if you follow the stuff I've written before, you can see a pretty clear through line between um, my earliest stuff I've written, like the coffin and through Deep Sleeper and up to Bloodbluster, it's sort of all in that same universe where um, and I was talking to Donnie last night about how most horror doesn't scare me because I'm not scared for myself. You know, I'm, now that I have a family, that's, you know, I'm scared for my family and I'm scared for their ultimate fate. So, um, and I, well, but at the core of that, what I'm really afraid of is betraying my family. Like, uh, not like, infidelity or something like that, but just letting them down, not being a good example to my son or my daughter, or not being able to provide for those people, those are all things, all this toxic stew that goes into being uh, an American male. And um, uh, so I had that sort of, that, that large fear of failing and, and bloodluster sort of that writ large that manifests as an actual physical failing in this guy's body. So all, all these mistakes he's made come back and haunt him you know, in his, what he thought was a perfect body. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, every every horror thing I write is like secretly a Christmas carol. <laughs> it's secretly like a chance to get it right, you know? And um, so this guy's got, a, a, he, he thinks it's a curse, but it's actually a blessing because blessing, it's a chance for him to try to write the ship that he's, that he's on. Um, and as far as shipwreck goes, artistically, my inspiration for that are, are down to two fantastic South American artists that I've loved since I was a kid, um, Alberto Brecchia and Jose Munoz, um, both fantastic um, artists that really deal with high contrast, um, exploratory kind of art. So if you like shipwreck at all, you should definitely go look for some Jose Munoz comics, especially in Sinner, which is being reprinted by IDW. No, I mean, not to talk about another company in your mouth. IDW is reprinting Sinner, and you should, anybody who reads comics on any level should see Sinner out. So I just wanted to ask you, like, just as if no one else is here, I just want to talk about that, Bill. Um, I, uh, I uh, the, one of the books that I'm doing, I had image was, like, directly inspired by, like, I had kind of a profound health issue, yeah, like, two years ago, yeah. that kind of came out the other side of it, like, I'm fine now, but at the time, it, like, really looked like I was not going to be okay, right. and came out the other side of it really having some things to talk about, I can't help but be struck by yeah. what you just described and what you... Yeah, Bloodbusters, that, Bloodbusters yeah. definitely a, a case of that, because I, I, I got really sick a couple of years ago, um, congestive heart failure I used to be a much bigger if anybody knows me I used to be a much bigger person and um, part of my recovery was losing a lot of weight and um, but I had this moment like that's the old when I was talking about failing my family checking out on them early is sort of the ultimate yeah. and uh, that's why I asked because I felt that same way and also I was at the first time in my life where my body felt like my enemy and I never had that happen before and it happens to everybody eventually 
everybody's yeah, probably yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. So, especially when you get old and creaky. Like, <laughs> I'm not even old like you know, guys, dude. Yeah, I'm fucking young and hot. Like, you fucking joke. Yeah, don't try to keep up with the comments, bro. The best quote you've ever given me. Don't try and keep up getting your But everybody deals with that. Like, and also, I dealt with. In the course of shipwreck, I started shipwreck with my own corneas, and I finished shipwreck with two dead people's corneas. I've had cornea transplants in both eyes, and um, so like I, everybody deals with uh, not being able to do what they love physically at some point. Athletes all have to. I think athletes that nobody explores this like aspect of their lives enough, but like that's a fantastic. They have to go through this incredible journey usually in their 20s and yeah. 30s yeah. most people don't do it till they're about to die uh, which is you can't do what you were put here to do anymore yeah. and um, as an artist I was the only that went with my eyes and I was doing I can't draw anymore and that's my central to my identity so that plays into Blood Illustrator a lot as well yeah so now, now that my therapy session is over <laughs> so now my shallow ass has to follow that um, <laughs> I was actually say, listen to both of you guys, uh, having a pedigree in horror, uh, having done Supernatural for five years, it probably would have behooved me to continue with that, but instead, like an idiot, I decided to uh, do other things, and other things that inspired me, and I, you know, like I spoke to earlier, not just the love of history, but listening to both of you guys, I think there's, you're either writing your fears or you're writing the things that inspire you. So, my books are really, you know, Rough Riders is my inspiration. My dreams, all that stuff, and then I think the normals is very much my fears, and like you said, uh, all the difference. Scary too. I mean, scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, Those dreams are scary. Too. <laughs> dreams can be scary too, um, but simply just what I think you were trying to ask in the beginning, Mike Z, at least the way I heard it was like, so like, what not only inspired you, but like the covers. So for Rough Riders, I always was in love this picture of the Wild Bunch, the whole and the Wall Gang. That they took a black and white sepia tone photo. So when I saw that picture, um, I turned around and the original cover that was up there a minute ago was the cover that I did for it. So um, yeah, right there. But it was you know so that that definitely I always saw that cover in my head and uh, that picture in my head and that turned that into that cover. But yeah, I mean, I mean, just to sum it up, I do think that uh, we're always either writing the things we love, the things we hate, the things that scare us. We're basically pretty simple animals. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you want to? Sure. You guys are so deep. Um, don't, I, don't tell us you're scared of kids. <laughs> uh, well, I am. That's, that's, so that's, 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 that's why he's scared. Uh, seriously, I, I just wanted to do some spooky and cool. <laughs> Nothing appropriate to it. I'm a big ex cops fan. Um, so, like, that's why I found like, a kid's balloon in the urban legends and creepy things out there. And I, as I said, I do have six kids. So, I can look at my kids and go, What if you guys are all possessed? <laughs> <laughs> what would the story be? Well, the ironic thing is, if you've read my kids number one, which I hope every single person here has. If you haven't come out of the movie, I'll give you a free copy of the preview book. Um, the scenes in the first issue where the character and the son, uh, Michael, starts becoming a black eyed kid. 
and no more than my brothers or them. My son, and don't tell him I'm telling you guys this, he's a sleepwalker. And his name is also happens to be Michael. Um, so he, the sleepwalker scenes of the first issue are actually real ones that he did in real life, where he's at a friend's house one night and he's, his friend's mom goes in and late and he's like looking out the window and it's in the book I have Michael looking out the window they're coming. He actually did that. Same exact words. They're coming. And she's like, who's coming? They're coming. You know? So I said, that's pretty spooky. And then there's another scene in the book where he's done some naughty things with a knife as he's um, coming to black house kid. And uh, he stands at the top of the doorway, the hallway, the stairs, whatever, and Mom is up there, look up, and he's standing with a knife. He goes, One more must die. My son said that. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the top of the stairway, through the doorway, and I wasn't there, luckily. I got up hard and freaked out. And he looks down, my, my wife looks up, and he goes, One more must die. I'm like, What the hell are you dreaming? <laughs> so I said, Perfect. So instead of being a concerned dad, I'm writing stuff down. <laughs> so that's a cool thing. The other thing that he's not in this book, but he actually came down one day. When I just walk down and he's standing in the living room, he's looking at our kitchen table there and he's like doing this. And they're like, Why are you doing it? Because he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's like, Don't you see them? The eyes, they're staring at the kitchen table. And I'm like, Wow, that's after I wrote the first issues, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> and then he just walked out the front door. So uh, he doesn't really do that much anymore, but he'll come down, just go down and get a Yeah, <laughs> Get water and we can tell he's sleepwalking. We're like, no, at least to a point we kind of like, no. What are you doing? You just sit down and stand there for a minute. Michael? Yeah. Are you awake? Yeah. No, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually he's just seeing clear clear up and he starts looking at this. Do you know you're sleepwalking? He goes, what am I doing out here? You know, you should, I'm going to go back to bed. So you're just transcribing me. So, yeah, transcribing me. I'm not aware. You're like, Michael, go to bed. He's got a deadline. I, <laughs> he's just like scrambling, writing all this down. Yeah. So this all happened right when I started putting my kids together. So he actually was a, a big help with that first dish. <laughs> that was my inspiration. Well, it's interesting because I keep making come back to this, but there is a lot of father-son you know, aspects to a lot of books, or at least parent-child, family, brought, was brought up a lot. And not to put you guys on the spot, but these are you know very interesting stories. Some of the stuff is like you know autobiographical uh Novels sound like could be very interesting if, if you guys are cool with these types of like stories being out there. Joe obviously doesn't mind at all with all. Don't tell my son. He hates when I talk about. But like you know, Phil said, some part of the stories is uh, the fear if you lost your family or bad as well. But for the normals, because the minor character, like a kid, so the dad loses him to evil. So what would happen if your kid, you, know, you lost your child? This is me playing with that as well. So. All right, another question for you guys. Um, it's pretty open-ended, so again, feel free whoever wants to chime in first. Um, I'm curious, what was the, how did you break into the comic book industry, or if you just want to share one of your stories about the early years of working on comics? Is there anything that kind of sticks out? These all Polaroid cameras that so instantly <laughs> developed, you know, compromising positions. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start because I'm the oldest. Uh, when, I, when I started in comics, it was about when the Turtles blew up as a comic book for the first time. And then suddenly everybody with a credit card wanted to be a publisher. So we went from, you know, like six or seven publishers to about 30 publishers overnight. And if you could hold your pencil a pointy side down, you could get work as an artist. 
and I could do that. That's when I started. I I still just work. (laughs) But I I actually started during that black and white boom when I was in college and sort of like been inching my way up that ladder ever since. So that would have been what, 89? Uh, My first published thing is I actually started in 87. Um, Actually, I started in 86. It didn't come out. When you were 12. It didn't come out until 87. What was the title? You will never know. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the internet. (laughs) Um, I actually was during the last writer's strike, um, which was 10 years ago, I was on the line with a guy named Mike Benson and we were walking the line and he was writing Moon Knight at the time and just got a new book and, uh, he was, you know, just both comic book fans were just talking comics and both writers and, uh, he was like, well, I'm doing this new book and I'm just having a hard time with it and we're just pitching back and forth and, you know, after about two weeks in line doing this, he's like, want to write it with me? I was like, what? Serious? And next thing I know, Axel Alonso called me from Marvel. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was reading comics until I was four years old, so it was a dream come true. And that was sort of my break in, and uh, that was Deadpool Suicide Kings. And that was how I got in. Uh, I broke in, wanted to be an artist uh, from 89. I just got out of college. Uh, I just, I kind of dropped out of comics through college, kind of discovered girls and alcohol, and I only had enough money for one or the other. So comics went away. Um, but when I actually had a steady girlfriend towards the end of my years, uh, I'm not going to turn my pen because I'm going to have to go spend all the money. Um, but I, she, I would go visit her hometown, she would be working until I was driving around town and find a comic shop, and that's where I would go back and read. Things on this, like what, uh, more swamp thing, and, and a book called Flaming Carrot, which was coming out from another yeah, character. And so um, I found out that Bob actually graduates, and I was, we both went to the University of Georgia. He was in Atlanta, I was in Athens still, and uh, I noticed that he used his assistants, and he credited them in his comics. I said, This is so cool, I love this book, and he's local, uses assistants, so he reached him a letter and see what, what happened there. So I sent him a note. Say, hey, look, I'm just graduating college. I'm not sure what I want to do right now. I'm an English major. I'm a big fan of your book. I think it's great. I see you use assistance. By any chance, would you need an intern or something like that? Come work for me for free just so I can learn the business and learn the ropes. And surprisingly, three weeks later, he called me up. Don't tell me in the back cave. Uh, We're going to call his house and have you a secret. Don't tell me about it. I mean, I'm going to be offered jobs as a paying assistant for him. So I. Broken, like I said, I want to be an artist and sort of get some background and learning how to letter and transcribe his stuff. Bob liked to walk around with handheld tape recorders and record everything he said. So basically, so I would sit there transcribing for him. Um, and when Bob would like he'd be on, he wouldn't stop talking. So I'd be like, on, what? What? What's the same Bob? You know? Uh, and then we'll not be listening to those year flush. I mean, he talks everywhere he goes, apparently. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, started from the book, getting some comic credits, and then started meeting his friends, you know, the Alan Moore's of the world, the Brian Mullins, and, you know, and started making my way. And it's, it's all you know about time. So a few years later, I started start being a writer. And uh, actually, I was at a little place with Tundra, with Paul Jenkins as my editor. But he was an editor at Tundra, which is kind of funny. I think he was my first editor. Um, then Tender kind of went up playing over Calvary Comics and sort of right there, this sort of book called Negative Burn, uh, which I edited for a long time and uh, became an editor somehow. The next time I'm the talent scout for Calvary, bringing in 
you know, no Mobiuses and no Gangers and Alcorns of the world. It was like a place where you used to start your career and move on, so that's where I met Phil. Uh, but then my goal was to make it a place where you've already got your career to manage your fun stuff. So uh, and I was lucky enough to work with like, Phil and, you know, the business and David Max who were coming up with us at the same time. And uh, I like to say, you know, I was the first guy to talk to like, John Cassidy, put him together with the Warren Allison Project, which never happened. But they went on to do Planetary together, so I'll take a little credit for that. Um, and did that, and then, you know, somehow another thing for Marvel, and, and I'm here. So, James Everbody, you know, if you make them. I was a um, I was a retailer in Austin. I ran a bunch of stores in Austin, and then I ran them into the ground. Uh, <laughs> nice. I heard Marvel like you do. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I really loved being in that environment. I, 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 I like learned how to read on comics when I was a kid. My dad taught me how to read uh, using comics, and uh, that was in 2007. I started running those comic book stores, and I was, uh, you know, a part of the industry. We were, you know, um, retailers are kind of the, the the center of this whole thing, you know. Um, and when I ran those shops into the ground, I just I really wanted to stay in the industry in any capacity that I could. I had enough money to open up my own store, you know. Um, so I. Uh, I'm a decent artist. I can draw, and uh, I was a was a pretty good sculptor, and so I ended up getting a scholarship uh, for sculpting and and and, uh, and painting uh, to the SCAD, you know, the Savannah College of Art. Um, so I went out there, and then I was in classes, uh, like uh, uh, interior comics uh, classes with guys like Chad Moore and Jeff Shaw, and so I quit. Immediately upon seeing those guys work, um, and then I, I, I just didn't, I didn't like. I could draw like, a, like if if I had a month to do a cover, I could do a, a pretty good cover. You know, it's not going to be anything near like what Phil can do or anything. But like, I like a lot of artists do that. I mean, a ton of artists start that way. I mean, start right writers, sure. yeah, yeah, start out. Well, yeah, to, well, you know, I think that going through that through that college and having to learn how to ink a page and color a page and layout a page and learning every aspect of it has been really great. Um, but then right, right around that time, I, um, you know, I, I had a writing class and I had a professor that was very, very uh, encouraging. And I, I, I was never like the writer kid, like I'd never written anything in my life, um, but he was really encouraging. And so I started to put together, um, you know, story ideas and stuff. And then uh, I took the summer off and I was an intern at Marvel. Um, and when you intern at Marvel in the editorial camp, you're really, um, uh, it's, 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 it's like, it's like writing boot camp because they are making you write all day, every day, <laughs> recaps and stuff and, you know, you know, uh, all that stuff. And then, so right after that, I started making ash cans, um, of these, like this dumb comic that I made. And, uh, I started pitching it on the floor and somehow, uh, the ash can got on to the president of Dark Horse desk. He liked it. He published it in Dark Horse Presents, and then after that, um, that was, it came out in 20, um, gosh, 11, and then my first series, series came out in 2013, and Baby Teeth is my seventh series since then, which is rad and weird and surreal that I get to, I get to, to, to do it, but actually, 2017 is like, like the 10 year, uh, the 10 years of me being in the, in the, in the, in the industry, uh, which overnight is overnight success. Overnight success. <laughs> Everyone keeps on saying that in these interviews. And they're just like, where did this kid come from? And I was like, man, I've been here for 
That's great. It's really good to hear. Actually, I'm going to share a very, very quick story just about myself. Um, just because uh, this was sort of like uh, a game changer. And I don't know if anybody out there remembers Wizard Magazine, but um, I was an avid reader, collector, whatever you want to call it, uh, back in the day. It's probably about 12 years old, maybe 13 years old. And they had an art section, to, to Phil's point, about, you know, kind of starting out and, you know, trying stuff out. I, uh, I submitted um, a piece of art that was basically. Uh, a mix of Jeff Smith's Bone meets Alex Ross's Marbles, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, was, I had a subscription, um, you know, obviously 13 years old, my parents' house gets a subscription in the mail, issue 49, I'm literally just flipping through it, no one contacted me, no one had any reason to really contact me. That's the wizard way. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Somewhere in the middle of the comic, I'm just sitting there flipping through, and there's my artwork, was the first prize. And I was like, holy shit, that's pretty cool. I had no idea that was going to happen. And that's where it was like, okay, what don't you know. I won a uh, Jerry Wardway original uh, Shazam piece of artwork. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Yes, I still have that. Is it for sale? Uh, no, it's not for sale. call it. Something else that was a really prized possession for me. I um, was a big fan of Batman the Animated Series, and it was Mad Love by Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Al Burnett, all signed by them. Uh, it was just incredible. I had no idea what was going to happen, and uh, that, was, that was kind of a game changer for me. So he decided to quit being a Chippendales dancer and become. <laughs> exactly, a 13 year old Chippendale dancer. I know we don't have too much time left, but I want to see if there was any other questions uh, out there for these talented individuals here. I have yep. one directly for your chief creative officer. Obviously, you guys are gearing toward a certain age structure and readership, which is the prime market, but down the road, are you planning any, you know, any all, all ages or broader material? Sure. How old are you? <laughs> About your age. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're aiming for that 13 to 50 audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're not actively saying we're a mature, we're just the only company. It's just that so we're, we want good stories and stories, a lot of stories we've gotten so far have been that that vein, but no, we're definitely open to doing more all ages stuff as well. The front is all ages, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we're first in all ages. Baby, he's an all ages baby. Love of us are definitely is all ages, be a very bad parent, but yeah, I'm actually, I like to do more some all ages books. I, I had some meetings this week with some libraries and schools so I'm like, and why am I having a meeting with you? Because they're going to have a thing where they sell them on Rough Riders and for no Super Zero and then probably oh, Dirty Eagle. Yeah, and Dirty Eagle. Um, but all I have more options like that. Yeah, to, to add that on that too, I just wanted to mention that, you know, obviously we're very creator driven, fantastic creators, so, you know, if there's a creator that comes out with an all ages, I think, you know, the whole team is going to be excited. Yeah, Jeff Smith, Smith bought me a bone. I would take that, you know. Is that a question? It was the next right here. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, it seems like a lot of creators have at least a lot of options out there for uh, places to publish in the Why uh, Aftershock, at least for these series? Because I'm a founder of the company. That's why I'm here. Because <laughs> they said yes. And I think yeah, it goes right. This is the Polaroids. What I have? Yes. Well, I, I will say that outside of image, it's probably the most creator-driven. Yeah, absolutely. I've ever been involved in a lot of fans and readers don't know this, but at Image, you're sort of a lot, 
on your own for a lot of these mm-hmm. stuff, you know, in, in terms of promotion and paying your staff and all that stuff. That's sort of on you. And if you're a huge name, you can swing that. But if you're not a big, gigantic needle mover, you, you need some, or if your mind just doesn't go to dealing with distributors and shops, you need a support infrastructure. And Aftershock's as close as you can get to image, but with that sort of editorial and promotional infrastructure, and you know, a kind of a living wage while you work on those things. Uh, yeah, so it's big, it makes a big difference in a lot of creators' lives. Aftershock also has has seen more to me that they invest, um, they approve people and not really plots first. Like they they seek out talent that they know they can trust, and then kind of just let the let, let the reins off, you know. Once, once you know, uh, Lee and Mike and I got to know each other, and I started turning in, um, uh, what's that? the baby teeth into it. Um, it's really just, it's just this open kind of really cool environment of just like, what kind of crazy ideas do you have that like, you know, you don't, you know, you know, you haven't talked with anybody about because you think that they're too, that they're too weird or too crazy because, you know, it's one of those things that like I've worked for companies in the past where. Uh, I've had to pitch on things and I, I've I'd done three or four books with them and they were like yeah we just don't really know how this idea will be like you know executed and I was like I mean you think I'm going to forget how to read or how to write comics like it's, it's going to sound a whole lot like the other stuff I did you know and with and with Aftershock it's very it's a very trusting environment they they even if they're like if Lee and Mike are like that's a really Really fucking weird idea. I don't, I don't know how you're gonna pull that off. They'll be like, go, but go, but, but go do it, and then you know they'll they'll let you go and try some other weird stuff. It's been really cool. Yeah, just to reiterate what I think everyone's saying here. Uh, I'm Mike Martz from my DC days writing Suicide Squad. I just always loved the world of him, and, and he's actually the reason I had to go to him, and I had not known him and pitch him Harley Quinn for Suicide Squad because DC Comics did not want her on the Suicide Squad. And so I went by. <laughs> really? And of course, now they say, oh, you do. No, you didn't. And somebody told me no three times. And uh, Martz was the guy who helped me do that. So I always had a great relationship with him. And he had a great reputation, as did Joe. And these guys were all very, very artistic friendly. And so when you go to a place that you know is like that, uh, just like these guys said, and they're open to things and they're willing to talk about things, I mean, that's a dream come true. And I think we can all say this, we're all writing the books we want to write yeah. versus writing books that we thought we wanted to write, but people are getting involved and in, in messing them up. Um, every book that I put out of these guys is exactly the book I wanted to do. So that's the reason why. Yeah, there's a, a level of trust that is there that is, that is I mean, because, and on both sides, because it's, it's Mike Mars. Mike Mars has edited some of the best books that have ever been made, you know? And so, you know, getting being able to have a direct line with Mike and be able to call him and run things by him and everything and having that opinion that trusts you that you can trust him, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, to just add upon that and on sort of on the staff side, you know, it's exactly the, the intention of Aftershock. You know, when it comes to Joe Pruitt, when it comes to Mike Marks, you guys talk about Lee Kramer, our president, you know, the idea is it's a little bit of guidance, it's a little bit of a soundboard. You know, really letting you guys shine. Tell the stories you want to tell, but you know, Aftershock is there to support that and to keep it. You know, you guys are already bringing in the quality and making sure that quality is consistent across all the talent. And uh, that's why it's such a joy for you know for everyone on the staff side to work with you guys. Well, and also we're missing the biggest thing. Also, guys love comic books. 
you know, and yeah. know them and love them yeah. and are into them and all that stuff. Not just people that, yes, everybody wants to make money into business, but at the same time, real love for the comics. I totally feel that with these guys. Yeah, and girls that love comics too. <laughs> we have lots yes. of female talent that's really excited to work with us. So it's good. Lisa, you like comics? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think we're out of time. We're, we got the time to come. All right. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming. Again, please come by uh, Room 417. Actually, at least I think it's going to have some stickers for you guys. And with those stickers, you just bring them back to the booth and you're going to get something special. So thanks for your time and uh, hope to see you at the booth. Thank you. Thank you.